University of Exeter podcast where we explore all aspects of our community and our life here. I'm Jo Cole and today I'm joined by Professor from the University's Business School. Welcome. Thank you. Now your official title is Professor of Management but you specialise in the area of reputation. So is that something that has developed and grown with the advent of social media? I think reputation has always been a really important topic, uh, even if you go back to Greek or Roman times, how politicians, how individuals were perceived, and that's what reputation is, essentially how different individuals perceive either an in- another individual or an organisation. I think it's been very important in history, but I think because of the volume of information available today and the ways in which people can understand Um, different organisations and different individuals, I think it's probably become increasingly salient. Because in the past, I suppose, you had almost two types of reputation. So you had very local reputation among your family and close friends and community. And then there was probably the the other aspect of people, like you say, politicians, pop stars, that sort of thing, who would have a very public reputation. But now anybody, you know, can have a reputation anywhere Yeah, absolutely. So geography becomes arguably less important because people can access information about people from all kinds of different places. And that's something that I think young people particularly need to be aware of because they have a digital footprint which can come back potentially to haunt them at later stages when they're under greater scrutiny. So because there is so much information available and people can look up all kinds of things about us, then we have to be quite careful about how we manage that and how we manage the impressions that people have of us. Does that make reputation almost a bit repressive then? Yeah, to some extent. And there's been a lot of um, discussions about this with reviews of products on Amazon or when you're looking for a hotel. And there's a darker side to this where people are purchasing reviews illicitly often and so this can be quite problematic in a business sense excuse me but also on an individual level I think it's challenging as well because it means that you can often be brought down quite easily by something that's happened in a very short period of time which doesn't necessarily truly reflect your character and that's one of the really unfair aspects about reputation which is poorly understood that it's not necessarily objective fact, it's a perception. And perception can emphasise some things and not others. Presumably with catastrophic results sometimes for an individual or for a company. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, if, if you were to look at an organisation's performance and to evaluate all the good, bad and mediocre things that it's done... Uh, often what is reported and what's remembered are the extremes. It's not the sort of the bulging middle which represents most of what we do, but it's often either something that is really fantastically good or more often than not something that is catastrophically bad. And that is why reputation is often referred to something that's quite sticky because once people have an impression, those impressions often come from those extremities. And, And frustratingly, those extremities, particularly when they're negative, can be difficult to shrug off. So what impact does that have in a business world? Well, I think organisations have to think very carefully about how they manage their reputation amongst different stakeholders. 
in the past, I think it was probably more straightforward because there were less information channels, as we mentioned before. But now, because there are so many different ways in which people can find out information about organisations, it means when you're making decisions as organisations or when you're communicating to different groups, whether that's to your employees or whether it's to your clients or whether it's to an investor, you need to think quite carefully about the types of messaging that might have because if there's a disconnect between your messaging to those different groups and people make sense that there is a, a disconnect, then suddenly you can be in a situation where you're perceived as inauthentic, for example, and then you, before you know it, you get into a situation where you're experiencing some kind of mini crisis. So I think for organisations, being very in tune with everything that you do and everything that you say is going to have an impact on how you perceive it is an important way forward. But I think the paradox with that is that you can't just run an organisation constantly being risk averse. You've got to be sort of positive and forward looking, but you've got to be mindful that you're going to have a footprint that a lot of people are going to be aware of. So does that mean reputation and reputational damage is part of the course? At yeah, time? absolutely. I think if, even if you look at the preponderance of negative news to be reported, whether that's via mass media, local media, or social media. You have to be aware that however successful you have been as an individual, or however successful your organization has been to create a brilliant product or a brilliant service, that there is the but what in the academic literature we refer to as the burden of celebrity, which is the moment that you are prominent you actually have greater risk as well and that's what we've seen with some of the startup companies like uber for example that have come from very little to suddenly hugely disrupting the taxi service and that was very successful in the short term but obviously as their success has increased and they've become more prominent they've also come under all kinds of problems in terms of their leadership, in terms of litigation in all types of cities, union challenges, etc, etc. So that's a microcosm, I think, for any organisation to be aware of that as you grow and become more successful, locally, nationally or internationally, you're also going to be more susceptible to reputational risk. Is that because people are looking to bring you down, if you like? For sure, and that's a well-known concept of the sort of tall poppy syndrome, where, you know, once you... You do stick out from the crowd in all kinds of guises, then people will tend to target you. And that's why often, whether it's in sport or business, people absolutely love to read stories about the rise, fall and almost rise again of individuals. You know, a prominent case in point is someone like Tiger Woods, for example, if you think about how you've got an Afro-American who at a very young age has become an extremely successful golfer, one of the most successful golfers of all time, and then suddenly this individual becomes embroiled in all kinds of scandals to do with marriage and drink driving, and then obviously has all kinds of different physical injuries as well. And so he's sort of rock bottom, and then obviously won the Masters and, and suddenly painted again as this sort of incredible feat of sporting and personal recovery, if you like. And I think that is a, a, a nice vignette of actually how often we think about and report on individuals. That is a huge pressure on any individual though, isn't it? I mean, to a degree, companies are 
a mass of different people and different moving parts. And so perhaps they can, you know, suck up this bad reputation, if you like. But for an individual person, any person nowadays, the well-being aspect must be tremendous if if you're caught up in something that, you know, may or may not be your fault even, may, may just be something that's occurred. Absolutely. And uh, I'm doing a project with a PhD student, Navdeep Arora, which is looking at the, the that very point that you've made about sort of individuals suffering catastrophic reputation. And so we have interviewed 70 uh, people who are currently serving um, prison sentences in a, a federal US prison in the United States. All of these people who come from a variety of backgrounds, from business to engineering to banking to science to education, you name it. Many of these people have been chief executives, founders, very, very successful people in their careers. And for various reasons have come out the wrong side of um, the law and clearly by association have overstepped an ethical mark. And in all kinds of different ways, these people both before, during and after the court proceedings have experienced huge personal damage. And uh, that's not to say that everyone necessarily will find themselves being indicted, but often all of us in different ways will experience some kind of reputation damage, which takes a big toll on what's known as identity, how we see ourselves. Now, clearly, if you go to prison, that's going to have an extreme form of Mm. pressure on your identity. But in many ways, all of us have different setbacks, whether it's career, whether it's relationship, whether it's family or personal. Um, But obviously, the types of examples we're talking about are extreme cases which get reported and have a huge toll on individual health, for sure. And they've gone, presumably, from an extreme high if you're a CEO of a successful company, you're the leader, you're perhaps got this great reputation among employees and family and friends as this successful person, and then you've gone to the complete other extreme. Yeah, absolutely. And you have to bear in mind as well that when you go to prison, there are huge restrictions on your ability to, for example, access resources, to communicate with people. Um, You have less access to information about what other people are saying about you. And so in a way, it's it's a very extreme case. But when you have an absence of information in an information rich world, that really challenges your identity because you start to speculate in all kinds of rational and irrational ways about yourself and how other people perceive you. And so certainly what we found from this project is that a lot of people are really stuck in this horrible vortex, which they're really struggling to climb out of. I suppose as well, they can't actually, if you're physically in prison and you don't have access to social media and things, you can't actually start to make steps to rewrite that damage anyway. Yeah, and that I think is a strong argument that there are undoubtedly limitations to how you can rebuild your reputation in the context of a prison. That said, you do have um, a peer structure um, which can be useful for helping you to adopt certain sort of um, recovery mechanisms. And so, for example, um, we've been looking um, at uh, different workshops that have been run in the prison to kind of help with peer support. Firstly, 
to use it as a forum for people to share information about um, what happened to them and what lessons that they can learn because that's really important yeah. to kind of recognise one's former self and to understand what went wrong and to learn lessons from that. But then to think very specifically about the present, what does that mean about me now and what I am now? And then what can I do to plan for the future? And the emphasis would be on planning because actually what you can actually do you can do some things in prison, but obviously there are other things that you can't do. So then you've really got to think about what your sort of plans would be moving forward. How does it rank then reputation in 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 the sort of distress, if you like, of being in a prison environment in those circumstances? You know, there's lots of different things that have been taken away from you, your liberty, you know, access to seeing your friends and family when you want to and, and that sort of thing. How does the the devastation if you like of the reputational side rank in terms of how they feel what comes to mind is a comment that one of uh, the interviewees told us and bearing in mind this is very much in a u.s context that he felt that he permanently had to live with with an f on his forehead for felon and so that doesn't answer your question about reputation but it does say something again about this point around reputation being quite sticky. And in this case, this person feeling like he will always have a reputation for being a felon or a former inmate of a prison. And that therefore that's going to be something that he is going to have to live with for the rest of his life. So, yeah, this is an extreme example. Mm. But it does, I think, serve to show quite well how a negative event or a negative series of events can really be very hard to shrug off. But you talk about it being subjective reputation, you know, other people's perception. So should we even consider it at all? You do hear, you know, you do see some people who have quite bad reputations mm. around the world yeah. and they shrug it off and they carry on yeah. and they don't overtly, publicly seem to care. Yeah. Um, and I think I think there is a very delicate tightrope that you have to walk on that one because on the one hand, if you have no care in the world around how you're perceived and what people think about you and the policies that you are implementing or your actions, then clearly that could have all kinds of negative implications in terms of not really reflecting on the actions that you have. But at the same time, on the other side of that tightrope is where you become totally obsessed by absolutely every possible cue that you receive. So, for example, you post a tweet about uh, some kind of new product that you've released as an organisation and, and you as the CEO are, are, are owning that, so to speak, via social media. Well, you could get thousands of individuals kind of giving pushback, giving negative sentiments about that. Um, if you took each of those comments at a very personal level, then we come back to the problem that you've just said earlier, where that can take a huge toll mentally. And so that's what I mean by I think you've got to really walk a, a careful tightrope where you've got to be in tune with sort of some of the broad and important sentiments that people uh, perceive about you as an individual or about your organization if that's relevant but at the same time you can't become overly consumed by it either because that's that's not healthy nor sustainable
Is reputation a good thing? Yeah, I think it is for sure, because um, it keeps you in tune with what different stakeholders uh, perceive about you and your organisation. And to be clear, that's not a static thing over time. How people expect you to behave or you to perform is going to change as lifestyles and society evolve, if you like. So I think it, it is important to be in tune with that. At the same time, I think it's important also not to become overly consumed or obsessed by it, because if you become obsessed by it, then there is a danger that what you're really actually doing is just looking in the mirror. Because as you said before, there is a lot of pressure on younger people particularly, mm. who've grown up with social media and are now at university like here and then going on to their first jobs to have something way back when yep. that pops up as a footprint that you can't easily scrub. Yeah, and I think that is something that all of us have to come to terms with in general, with our past. That's an obvious observation, but you can't change things in the past. So my suggestion to people would be, of course, you know, if there are things that you can do um, to <laughs> remove kind of the visible negative things that you've done in the past, then that can sometimes be helpful. But I think probably what is more helpful is to have a narrative and an honest narrative around your past and some of those actions. And even better to think about how those particular events, episodes have been important moments in your life for learning. So the example uh, that I like to give is when I was around 16, I was really keen to um, become a journalist. And so I gained all kinds of work experience with a local sports magazine, a local newspaper, um, a student radio station. And that all culminated in, in the first year of my undergraduate degree, getting an offer to do an internship for two weeks uh, during the Easter for the BBC in London. And that was a fantastic opportunity. And I remember vividly that first day where I turned up and it was really unclear to me who was meant to be looking after me, what I was meant to be doing. I was given a desk and a computer space, uh, but which I quickly had to vacate because there was a lack of space and journalists understandably needed to do it. And I remember just standing for what seemed like an eternity in uh, this busy newsroom and television centre in White City. And I lasted a few hours and just walked out, handed my badge to the front desk and um, I remember in the afternoon sending some irate messages to the BBC. And to the credit of the person who was meant to be supervising me, she did um, offer for me to come back the next day. But I was so enraged uh, that I rejected it. And, you know, I was polite. Um, and to this day, I don't regret going into journalism, but that was a door closed on an episode. But in a funny kind of way, bringing back to this point about your past, that I think has been a really important lesson for me in terms of using that event as a way of not giving up on things prematurely and understanding that lesson of once you close a door, it can be harder to reopen it. So what have you learned from your experience with the prisoners in America then? What, what, what are the key findings or the key messages that they, they are coming up with? I think uh, one message that came up very clear in terms of understanding 
why people got into a situation of, let's call it crossing an ethical line. Um, one insight was clearly around all of these individuals in different ways had risen to success extremely quickly in their careers. And that's interesting because that's something through schooling and through university and college training we're often taught is a good thing right yes. you know to yeah, aspire yeah, yeah. to be to to lead go but for that promotion exactly to put yourself forward to be ambitious but the lesson i took away from all of those 70 people is that sometimes if that is your goal to succeed at all costs then success can have catastrophic implications in terms of causing certain perverse behaviors so i think that was lesson one is that pursuing success at all costs you know it can be a, a very very dangerous thing and the second thing that we found in very different ways with our interviewees is all of them had generally an unhealthy relationship between their work and their home lives and again, we're taught, I think, to work hard, but we also need to think about our work and our life balance. And so I think if you are extremely ambitious in terms of your career or a certain goal, and you've got an unhealthy balance between work and home life, I think that has a preponderance towards people behaving in ways that can kind of warp their sort of ethical code. Because to be clear, all of these people are well-educated, intelligent people who have climbed to the very top echelons of their fields. These are and not, not from a criminal background. Exactly. Or like that, that, These know, are people that are not innately bad or come from necessarily challenging backgrounds. But there are a certain set of conditions that I've just talked through that I think can lend themselves to people getting into situations where they don't want to be. Were they really, in effect, striving for a certain reputation and that? ended up completely destroying their reputation. That's an interesting paradox, yeah. So possibly you could argue that they are trying to achieve some kind of utopic reputation, which is almost impossible to achieve without experiencing catastrophic failure. Or you could say what they're trying to do is they are fixating on some kind of end point which is setting themselves up for failure. I mean, the other challenging aspect of this, of course, is that success in anything, whether that's sport, whether that's business, whether that is politics, is also about pushing boundaries, whether those are legal boundaries, whether those are relationship boundaries, whether that's business boundaries. And inevitably, if you get the right side of that boundary, that can be cheered on as something that is terrific. But of course, if you push that too far, then it can be construed the other way. And so that's, I think, comes back to this point about if you're too obsessive about something, then you can quickly slip over that line. And before you know it, <clears throat> the extreme of being celebrated can be, you can experience yourself being in the opposite circumstance. And maybe that sort of connection with people in your home life, be that family, friends, um, whoever it might be, is perhaps the answer because it can hopefully right. give you the reputational boundaries, if you like, yeah. 
and also hopefully support you if your reputation is damaged and just keep you on the straight and narrow really I suppose. Yes and I think it's grounding as well because often your family, your community, your friends, they come often from different contexts. They may have similar backgrounds to you but their lens through which they see the world is, is slightly different, their priorities are slightly different and sometimes when you have conversations with those people you know it can be confronting because what they see as priority is quite different from what you see as priority. But if you're committed to those types of relationships, then that can sort of slightly reorient your emphases and therefore actually hopefully bring you back the right side of the law and the right side of the ethical line, which is constantly evolving. Both are. So do you see hope for some of these prisoners as they start to move through their sentences and presumably come out? And start again? Absolutely. And um, I think there are enormous opportunities for these kinds of people to make a really positive mark on other people in the world and in society who might have um, a disposition towards getting the wrong side of the law or making poor decisions. And when I say those people that have that disposition, I mean all of us, because in different ways we can all find ourselves breaking the law, whether it's you've forgotten or, or have not gone to the machine to pay for your single train ticket because you know there's not a um, machine at the other end or there's no barriers, or whether it's because you, for example, have slipped your speed over the 70 mile per hour limit on the motorway. There are quite a few of these types of examples of where we can all just slightly edge you know, um, over what we know are the rules of the game and sometimes <clears throat> hearing the stories from other people and understanding how actually it can be quite easy to find yourself in a situation where you don't want to be can help to adopt a kind of a individual to adopt a proactive approach to avoiding those types of situations rather than the prisoner situation where they've had to now respond and to completely re reorientate and ultimately have paid the price because many of these people, it's taken an enormous toll on them individually. Many of them have gone through divorce, alcoholism, drug addictions, all kinds of other things. Uh, some of which was happening at the time, but other things, uh, sometimes this has also happened as an outcome of being in such a very difficult situation in terms of their reputational damage. So how do you feel about reputation finally just as an academic who lives and breathes it, how does it impact on you? Yeah, I think, I, I think it's a, a brilliant topic to be working in because I think, as you alluded to at the beginning, with so much information being available online and with so much reputational information being available for so many things that we consume, whether it's about going to university, applying for a job, whether it's about buying a product, going on holiday, in many ways, uh, there is information from other people and different stakeholders that kind of informs our choices. Um, I think it's a, a really fruitful area to be working in because it transcends all types of different aspects of business and society. And I think it's something that's not going anywhere. It has a history, it's always been important, but I think the importance of it is only going to get, uh, is only going to increase because more information is available uh, and um, 
to sort of quote one of my colleagues, Rupert Younger, um, it, life to some extent is becoming a reputation game where to some extent we're all being ranked and rated on all, times of, all types of criteria, which however depressing that sounds, that is a reality that we will walk into a room, whether that's an interview room, whether it's at a party, whether it's in another context, and in many cases we will already have a reputation before we've even said anything. And that's a lesson to all of us to just, again, not be obsessed by it, but just to be mindful that every aspect of our actions and behaviour uh, is likely to feed into, in some way or form, how people perceive us. Great. Well, on that note, Professor Will Harvey, thank you very much. Thank you.